You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Legal Talk, Legal Talk, mashallah, a program that's tailor-made for those people that are deeply interested in legality and so forth. And alhamdulillah, after many moons, uh, we have our very own uh, uh, attorney, Hafiz Muhammad Kubadia. He's, mashallah, very busy, very active. And, you know, I recall an anecdote that I read somewhere just this week, and I thought of selfless people. And it said, an individual that worries only or worries about himself only is not a man or a human being. That individual is like an animal. But a human being is someone that cares about himself, his community, himself, his, his family, and, you know, people that uh, you want to uplift. And one such person is right in front of me. He's giving me a big smile. He said, I don't say it. I'm saying it, Muhammad. Tony, Hafiz, Muhammad, I'm saying it because I'm watching you in action. Hey, you even took Ahmad that's um, what do you call that, uh, award that he was given in, uh, what was it, 86, if I'm not mistaken. You took it and gave it to another, I thought you will give it to the memorabilia, where Didat has his memorabilia. It's amazing, it's not there. But, yeah, I tell you, our attorney, Saab, he took it with his few other members there, and he gave it to, I know that Greek Muslim guy very well. I met him on occasions. But uh, let me welcome you with a, and the listeners with a hearty assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And attorney Hafez Muhammad Kubadia, tell me how you're doing this fine, beautiful evening. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Brother Shafat, you are always so gracious and so generous with your compliments. And I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala recognizes our little humble efforts and the awards that are given in this dunya of what value they may be in the year after only Allah knows. So yes, Alhamdulillah, I did receive a Nobel Award, an award that was given by King Faisal to Sheikh Ahmad Didat in 1986. And um, Alhamdulillah, I was given this type of award and um, I, I still have my award. I haven't given it to anybody. I hope that, uh, inshallah, that um, this this can encourage me to continue doing the da- work of da'wah and to also at the same time that it has some value in the year after, inshallah. But naam, you know, we, 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 we feel grateful that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us this level of honor in the dunya. But we feel especially concerned that we should have acceptance of it in the year after Shafat. I tell you, Muhammad, you know, what goes through my mind, you know, many people, okay, you, you know, you genuine, you're a genuine case. But you'll see those people that had a very minimum or minimal, uh, you know, reaction with the Amadi that, and they maybe just met him like a passing shower. <laughs> and they'll tell you, oh, you know me, I did this, and I'll sit back and I'll listen. And I'll say, oh, mashallah, and what else, brother? I'll say, yeah, you know me, I met him there, and he's like this with me. But, you know, generally when people don't know who you are, they'll tell you everything. Say, mashallah, very good. And then you find uh, the individual. I mean, I was just talking uh, with uh, Sheikh Rafiq uh, the other day. And I said, you know, I was so privileged to sit with the, with the old man when he was eating. You know, when he had his supper, I was there with him. We were sleeping in the hotel room together, I was with him. Flying together, I was with him. 
But I, one thing I marveled at him, the way he ate his cucumbers. You know, he didn't eat like you and I will, you know, we love uh, slices finely like, you know, like the Queen's cucumber. The please put some pepper and salt with that, with some butter and so forth. But Sheikh Ahmadi that used to eat a whole cucumber just by crunching it. Mm. And he should chow it. Like a banana. Like a banana. Just like that. that. Then you tell me better. You eat this now. But I said, but Sheikh, eat it. You know how he's a. Then he used to bring me a cucumber every day. He said, this is yours and this is mine. When I saw him eat his chicken, you know, the chicken uh, with the bones, he'll masticate that bone into sawdust and put it one side. He said, you want to know why I did this? I said, no, Sheikh, you know, it's okay. No, no, no. He said, I want to tell you. He said, I was so poor. I was so poor. This was a luxury. That's why I still remember that. And, you know, Rafiq tells me, no, you know, Chef, that there, he's getting all the nutrition too. It's all in the bones, the marrow and this and that. They can crush it. <laughs> so, Alhamdulillah, you know, a little bit of that there, Muhammad. But when you look at around us, just, and you look just, at... All right, go ahead. Just to come in there, when I, you remember we did a program of the Dawah that we went to do in, uh, in Ghana. And um, I was informed before we went to the villages that... Um, when you're going to sit and eat with the people, don't be astonished to see them eat the whole chicken, <laughs> including the bones. And uh, it, like Sheikh Hamadirat says, because of poverty, it made them do certain things. But the reality is there's so much nutrition, even in those bones, that they won't even allow it to go to waste. And um, yes, so I've seen it, I've witnessed this myself, how that uh, certain people value and treasure these things that we take for granted. Jazakallah khair for that, because, you know, you really brought in that dimension. And, you know, brings me to a question, a very important question. You know, when you're doing dawah and, you know, the demographics are different, the countries are different, the culture of the people is different. But the message is, and you go and, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, don't say salafa and so forth. But each, you know, da'i, if I'm a South African die, I mean, okay, do that in his sense had universal appeal. But uh, the psychology and, you know, you, uh, you getting to know the psychology of the people, uh, getting to know what they, you know, the value system is and so forth. And, you know, perhaps a person from the locality who knows his people well can be more effective with the non-Muslims in his locality than for someone that comes from maybe from Timbuktu into Johannesburg or into Cape Town and so forth. What's your views on that, uh, Mohammed? Gee, so firstly, I think we all need to remember, and this is just a general message to anybody that wants to do dawah, is that we're all calling to the same thing, La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. This is the nature of any dawah that we do. We don't call to any sectarianism. We don't call to any firqa. We don't call to any grouping. It, whether it's Sheikh Ahmad Dinat or brothers that come from visitors from other parts of the world or you doing dawah in your local community, the, the dawah is to tawheed of la ilaha illallah. So that's something we need to remember, something we need to put into perspective, um, the importance of dawah, number one. Number two is we will mention maybe Sheikh Ahmad Dinat's name from time to time only because he was our teacher and he was able to show us many things about dawah that would encourage us and make us stronger dais. Part of which 
is that he took an effort always to learn the dialect and the culture of the people he was going to talk to, the people that he was calling. So we know that when he would go to different parts of the world, he would even go as far as learning the Bible in the Arabic language in an effort to relate to the Christian Arabs that were maybe in the Egyptian areas that we, that we know. When he would go to Nigeria or some of these African countries, he would learn the local dialect and he would mesmerize them with it. Alhamdulillah. So understanding, you see, when you talk to a person in his own language, you tend to earn his respect because you've taken the time and trouble to understand who he is. And yes, we ourselves need to know key words. So when we're talking to a person and we say, for example, you know, we already resonate in his mind that he understands who is it we're talking about, even before somebody may translate it for him. And like that, it's important to have an idea of what is respectful in a local culture. You know, I use this analogy, I say, in the Indian subcontinent, for women to display a stomach, so we're talking, we're thinking about this Hindu aunties with their saris, they, for them to display their stomach is quite natural and quite normal. Yet, if she would, it would be, she was in the West and she was displaying a stomach, they would say she was immoral. And vice versa, a woman from the West, if she displays her head, it is normal. But if she goes to the East, if she goes to the Indian subcontinent, she would be considered to be immoral because her hair is covered. Even the Hindu, Hindu aunties would cover their heads, wear that oni of theirs and that covering. And this is, so it's important for us to understand the dynamics. I can give you another example. In the, in the Indian culture, if somebody is reprimanding you like a teacher or a parent, you don't look them in the eyes, you look down. But in the Western culture, when somebody is reprimanding them, you look them in the eye. That's why you, 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 know, you hear the expression, look me in the eye when I'm talking to you, meaning don't look down, although you would think that. So understanding when you're talking to some people, when you go into these this black tribes across Africa, there's a system. We don't just go, when we were doing Dawa in Ghana and you know, we never just went into a tribe and started doing dawah. The first thing you have to do is you have to go and introduce yourself to the, the local tribal chief. He would then sit down with you for 15 minutes, 20 minutes. He sometimes gives you, gives you a gift. You sometimes give him a gift. And we had the fortunate opportunity to meet the Muslim king of northern Ghana. Alhamdulillah, he gave us, he gave us a goat, a white goat as a gift. He gave us some yam, that's the fruit. It was really an experience to go and understand and to visit. And to, and then he gave us his permission to continue doing dawah. He says his words to us is, I've already heard that what you have done. And I give you permission, you can go into my reign, into my kingdom, and you can continue to do dawah. So yes, 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 without a doubt, Dai needs to empower himself. It's as if you're going into battle and you'll take the necessary armor with you, you'll take the necessary sword, and you'll take your, your battle clothing and your battle chance, and you'll go into battle, and you want to be victorious at the end of the day. Maybe at the end of the day, 
We may not be mujahids fighting in a battle, but at the very least, we salesmen trying to promote our product. No, absolutely. And uh, you tickle my brains here. I think I, I must have told you the story about meeting King uh, Goodwill Zuelitini, the late King Good, uh, Goodwill Zuelitini with the Dawood in Guane. Uncle Dawood in Guane also made Parda from this dunya. Unluckily, he's covered with Noor and Kranti Janathal Firdos. And I recall, you know, I was given a last minute notice by Ashraf see that of uh, CII and he phoned and he phoned the Durban studios and he said, you know what? Uh, this prince is here from Saudi and he wants to meet the king of the Zulus. And you know what? Only Shafat can get that appointment. I said, but how did you thumbsuck this? He said, no, no, I know you can get it. And I'm looking at him and I said, yo, this is, you know. So what I did, I, uh, I had a, a late friend of mine who was also an academic and he was, uh, he was Molana Muhammad Milansi. Uh, Milasi. So what he did, he said, Chef, I'll get it. So he phones uh, the secretary of the king, Sitole, and he tells Sitole, uh, you know what, can we get an audience with the king tomorrow for lunch? And he said, no, but the king's schedule is booked for the uh, next four months. So he says, by the way, we have a gift for the king. Listen to this, Mohammed. We have a gift for the king. It's a dagger embedded with rubies and emeralds and some diamonds to the value of 85000 U.S. Guess what happened? Sitola tells us, don't worry, the king is on his tractor. Perhaps you can talk to him personally. So I spoke to the king. Guess what the king told me, Muhammad? He said, you are most welcome. <laughs> like, yeah, like the Queen's English. I will meet you tomorrow for lunch. And there it was. It was all done. And, you know, many promises. But as you said, you got in there, you know, culturally, as you said, how they dress up. You know, the female uh, do not cover the tops and so forth, but we had to lower our gaze and respect their culture and their tradition. And you know, they welcome you with buy it, buy it, and this and that. But eventually, when we finished that, this was in, not in Umlazi, it was in Ilundi. Yeah, he wants to put me in Amlazi. Yeah, this Muhammad is always thinking, you know, that the king stays in Amlazi. Amlazi, <laughs> he's like, yeah, like a Soweto that you'll have nearby you or Alexandra. But this was it, and there it was, you know, with the king. Uh, eventually, we read uh, the first, I think we were the first group to read our Asar Salah in the palace. And Alhamdulillah, that was a moment to, uh, to savor. And what a beautiful moment indeed, uh, Muhammad. And you thinking uh, the king is living in Amlazi. He lives in Zululand, there in Ulundi. <laughs> My Afrikaans is better than your Zulu. Your Zulu is better than my Afrikaans. So we all have our distinct advantages in linguistics, Sheikh Shafat. Hey, I got A in Afrikaans. Eh? And Professor Andre Duvernaga said for me, Shafat, you have a Afrikaans. He is not one of us. Yeah. But for you, maybe I don't speak your Josie or your Lenz Afrikaans. Eh? That's why he. Okay, I'll give it to you. <laughs> Your lenses. I'm, I'm laughing too much to say something. So what will I say? It's it's unfortunate that I've lost for words. But go ahead, carry on. No, no, I won't carry on with the you and your Africans. You drink like you're a burro. I don't know. Like people like to be <laughs> one of bees. Eh? I don't know why, but you get these people. <laughs> the burro himself. Didn't I will impress you when I said. When I said umkulunkulu, you see, in you didn't even think those Josie guys can speak Zulu. No, they say velumnya, 
you know, like if you don't do that, hey, they get angry, man. Said, no, 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 you, you don't, I'm in so me, or I'm dingan, or shaka. But you know, you, you, you have to say the name according to the country, otherwise you're in trouble. I don't know if you noticed that, Muhammad. Of course I've noticed that. I think it's important that when you learn the language, you need to understand the the local dialect as well and ah. all the necessary Tajweed that goes together with it. Yeah, but they can't speak our language and then they can't even say the name properly, even for English, can't speak it properly, but today they're fussy about it. But moving on, we got challenges, challenges facing landlords and tenants in a dwindling economy. What goes through your mind, uh, Mohammed? Um, so, you know, the issue of landlords and tenants is always, as, I think, since time immemorial, maybe since the time of the Merchant of Venice and uh, what was the Jew's name? The money and business activities Shiloh. and renting and Shiloh. all that has been. Shylock. Shylock. The Jew. Yeah. So, there where the pound of flesh was demanded, we have in today's day and age our own modern mechanisms to demand your pound of flesh. Yes, you know, we people look towards expanding their portfolio. Sometimes because of circumstances, we have to rent out certain properties. Whatever the reason is, we sometimes are landlords and we sometimes we tenants. And we're living today in times where it's indispensable that we always have to be, we, that no matter what your situation is, sometime in your life, you're going to be renting. Either you're going to be a landlord or you're going to be a tenant. It's important to know and understand relationships between landlords and tenants. And maybe in the next half an hour or so, whatever time is available, we can actually discuss footfalls, leases, looking at some of the issues that landlords and tenants need to know. Absolutely, Mohammed. And you know, being a landlord, as you said, is a is uh, rather challenging. And you know, especially in an economy that is uh, being uh, compromised and you know it's dwindling. Uh, you know, the, especially uh, the, it is important for us to understand how we navigate through the current uh, situation. And uh, you know, uh, you know very well as a landlord yourself. Uh, landlords need to take a hard, objective look at the properties, and uh, they have to look at the bigger picture, and also you know appreciate good tenants. And uh, looking at the tenants uh, with a lot of TLC, if a uh, tenant comes and complains and you say, you know, uh, 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 Mr. Kovadia, you know, times are bad. And, you know, could you bear with us or maybe just give us, uh, you know, breathing space till the economy comes right and so forth. So, you know, these are the types of uh, challenges that comes through. And you as a landlord, how do you react, Mohammed? So uh, I'd like to remind and our listeners that over the last few, say in the last decade, there's been shifts in terms of dynamics of renting. One of the recent major shifts was how COVID affect relationships. We found in many instances, landlords, landlords, sorry, tenants fell into arrears with their rental because <clears throat> they were unemployed. And when you're unemployed, you can't afford to pay rent. You can't afford now to start paying your other expenses in the course of the month. And as a result of which we saw that 
there was a trend amongst tenants to stop paying rent altogether. But that carried over. You found that when COVID then subsided, there was already a backlog, and now there was a culture of there was a culture of uh, people being in arrears. And once that culture develops, then people find that they're now in a hole, and to dig out of the hole is difficult. Also, to be fair, landlords at the same time granted indulgences during the COVID period. A lot of landlords actually sent out notices to their tenants that he wants to um, he wants to re- reduce the rental for a while, and that as a result of which they were trying to accommodate um, tenants who had difficulty paying. So we respect that uh, from the landlord side. And we understand that tenants were going through a difficult time. Now that we've come out of COVID and things are supposed to have been where it was, you must you can you can understand that there's now a culture amongst people that I got away with non-payment or late payment or short payment in COVID. And my landlord was kind. He granted me indulgences as a result of which you know I can continue. And unfortunately we see that the pace hasn't really improved. The repayment hasn't really improved to pre-COVID levels. So, you know, that's one of the issues we must consider that COVID really dampened the business spirit and the landlord-tenant relationship impacted it very badly. Number two is that legislation was put into place recently also that allowed for tenants to continue to live in property affected because legal procedure became extremely incumbent on landlords. You found that landlords could no longer unilaterally, well, they couldn't really unilaterally uh, evict tenants, but you found that their hands became tied because it was more onerous now to evict a tenant because of non-payment of rental. And, you know, you needed to bring the city, your city, your local municipality, you needed to bring them in and inform them that you're intending applying for an eviction and that you were then had to serve them with formal notices and you had to give them an opportunity to rebut you. And generally, you know, we find that the courts were very sympathetic, are very sympathetic to the plights of the tenant, to the plights of the disabled, the disadvantaged, the young. And... Um, whether property is the type of lucrative investment that our parents saw it to be is another discussion, Shafat. You know, Muhammad, once you say that, uh, you know, uh, I'm thinking about the landlord, you know, uh, what's his biggest nightmare? He's losing tenants, uh, Muhammad. So it's, I'll say it's a variety of factors. One is that you'll find that his biggest nightmare we find primarily is the continuing to continuous and unabated municipal charges every month mm. on that property and the landlord himself is responsible the tenant is never responsible for the municipal charges he packs his bag up in the middle of the night and he runs away and you sitting with 100 200 sometimes the account with the municipality exceeds the value of the property landlords who could could even stand up and say anybody who's prepared to take this property from me so that I can get rid of the municipal debt. Here's the keys to the property. That's one. Number two is we find in many instances properties become hijacked 
per year of these foreigners that come into the country and uh, after a while they're comfortable with the scenario they start running drug dens or prostitution dens they start hijacking buildings and then before you know it you as a landlord just this morning a client informed me about how a landlord was unable to get access to his property to show this perspective which is what the property is all about First, the security prevented him. The tenant security prevented him from coming into the property. And then it was like you, the, the discussion with the landlord and the tenant was that you, the tenant was informing him, you are not allowed to bring anybody into the property. The property is not for sale. And here's the poor landlord embarrassed, insulted by the fact that the tenant is now dictating to him. And many other such incidents in Durban CBD, in Pretoria CBD, in Johannesburg CBD, that we are seeing that they've been hijacked by foreigners. They are charging rentals. They're not paying any expenses or any charges to anybody, including the landlord and the city council. So that could be another issue that you'd find that um, could consider for a lender to consider very carefully if he wants to purchase. Another one, for example, is that the tenants tend to be extremely rowdy extremely uh, you know, the property gets damaged monthly yearly what you gave the property the condition you gave the property to the tenant will will never be the condition that you're going to expect to receive it very far from it people run they don't close taps properly they damage the taps the geezers are working 24 hours a day the heaters are on people are using i've seen people are using stoves to heat homes because they don't want to buy a heater for the home. So the mm. stove is on 24 hours a day, and then the poor landlord gets settled with these accounts. And then and then you'll find in time to come that even the stove breaks and uh, or, or, or stops working, and the poor landlord is then forced to spend more money than they're putting in stoves and repairing cupboards and repairing electrical units in the house because tenants just don't care. So yes, being a landlord is extremely perilous. It's risky. It's no longer the type of investment that our parents, and I say that because I got to see the advantage of having good investments in properties. And let's, let's, let's look around us. If you were to look at the Durban CBD, corporates, insurance companies, banks, were buying and buying and building and developing in the CBD in Cape Town, in the CBD in in, in, in Durban, Johannesburg, Bloemfontein. Today, they're running for miles. They're moving away to Mshanga. They're moving away to Centurion. They're moving away to Senton. They're moving away from the CBD because they know and understand the rot. So if they've done it 20 years ago, it's, they are, they say, a full, full rush in where angels fear to tread. Mm, I see you became uh, very poetic uh, this evening, and also you got Shakespeare on your mind. Brilliant indeed! You're already uh, garnishing the show with a brilliant flavour. Whilst you're talking about uh, the, you know, landlords, I was thinking about the landlords of yesteryear. They used to have uh, this, uh, you know, a personal relationship with the uh, tenant because they used to collect the rent from them, and if it was over years and years of. Uh, you know, the, the tenant being with them, uh, they actually even gave them gifts and, you know, treated them uh, or treated the whole family to a meal and so forth. Uh, what I'm getting to is uh, nowadays you find uh, people, uh, they have a very, uh, you know, impersonal relationship with their ten uh, tenants because uh, they give it to agents to run uh, 
you know, the, the buildings and so forth. And the agencies, uh, you know, you either pay the rent or you, if you can't pay the rent and suddenly there's a heavy letter coming through and, you know, they just look at you as a, com- a commodity. And another question, Mohammed, is, you know, when you look at a, a tenant, it's always easier to keep a current tenant that you have than to get a new one in or to try and get a new uh, tenant in. What's your thoughts on that? So, Amunu, you put my Shakespearean cap on and I'm going to say, better, better the devil you know than the devil you don't know. <laughs> Absolutely. Well so, long story short, yes, it's, you know, uh, by having a good tenant is one of the best best blessings an investor can have. We have good tenants, without a doubt. There are people who care for somebody else's property as if it was their own property, nay, even better. Without a doubt, we know of relationships that extend for 10, 15, 20 years. For as long as a person is, uh, was living, he was always a tenant and his rental were paid. I know of situations where you don't have to phone the tenant on the 7th of the month. You don't have to phone him. He knows that by the 5th, the 6th, the 7th, the latest, that money needs to be in. Yes, I agree. If I have a good tenant, I'm actually beginning to see some money on my property. That gives me one less thing in life to worry about, and that's a blessing in itself. But it's very rare. It's very difficult. And sometimes you have a tenant that you, you know, that's frustrating you everywhere. You know, we see it daily. We see landlords phoning us and say, listen, if you have a buyer for this property of mine, please let it go. The tenants don't want to pay. The municipality is just constantly disconnecting. Two tenants don't pay. Two tenants pay. Tenants that don't pay, you now have to subsidize it and make their payments to the council. Otherwise, the council is just going to is going to disconnect services on the property. And the one or two tenants that are paying, <laughs> sorry, you're going to find that they, as a result of which, they are now going to be sitting on your head because they don't have electricity or they don't have water to the property. So, um, yes, I think it's important. You spoke generally about agents, and maybe if you want, we can have some discussion about working with agents and letting agents and managing agents. I know you're an encyclopedia, and you're absolutely brilliant. And as you know, you and I uh, generally be playing with each other's brains here, but alhamdulillah, it's coming out quite a... You know, I've been thinking of, uh, you know, landlords. Okay, they have a prime... uh, spot in the cbd or you know as you said that some of them are moving out in the suburbs and they know my spot is a prime spot and they're making gold money and he looks at the tenant he says you know it's time for me to go and you know what get some extra some extra and he keeps on doing this because in the back of his mind he knows there's 10 guys lined up prepared to give double uh you know the rent of what this guy is giving uh, what do you call landlords like that, uh, Mohammed? In your jargon, <laughs> I call them astute and smart landlords. Without a doubt, you got to give it to the. He's got a product that somebody wants to take off his hands. Somebody wants to rent from him. Without a doubt, you know it's something valuable and he can appreciate it. But it's important for us, instead of chasing that almighty dollar, to understand that sometimes. Helping and being good and being decent with your tenant. You know, I categorize it as giving a loan to somebody in Islam, a goodly worldly loan, where if a person defaults 
and a person struggles and a person pays, then it's as if by relenting and giving him a little bit of extra time, it's as if you're giving him charity, as if you're doing something good to with a Muslim brother or a tenant. So yes, that that relationship is something you talk about, impersonal relationships, and that is the case. We without a doubt. In the early years, we were, gifts were being passed, food was being exchanged. When the landlord came in, he was treated with dignity and respect. But we were living in different times those years. Today, like I mentioned, the landlords are not even welcome to view the property. They're not even welcome to put a for sale pro- a board up on the property. They're not even welcome in your own property. So how does it work? You know, we have all these things all at the same time. Um, also, to remember, just just going back to the previous point about wanting to increase rental because there's 10 alternative tenants waiting. That's why it's important to regularize it and get a lease done between the parties. I'd like to be here for the next 10 years. I'd like to pay paying XYZ every month. I'd like for you to, uh, to, to reciprocate by allowing me to park, use the parking, to do this, to do that. Everything writing. So that even if your business changes hands, the lease is there. People understand that there's a lease, and people have. Got, in fact, the law of South Africa requires that when you sell a property, you got to sell it with a lease, unless, of course, there's a mutual agreement between all the relevant parties that the lease is going to be cancelled. So if you buy a property, and you know sometimes people buy properties only because they're valuable leases. If a chain store is renting your property there in the corner of Gray Street and you uh, receiving a wonderful rental every month, you sell you your property, the, buy, the buyer then inherits the lease and then has to honor the lease. At the same time, he benefits for the lease till the duration and the end of the lease period. Alhamdulillah, Muhammad. You know, I'm thinking aloud here, you know, how often do landlords help uh, uh, the, maybe the tenants to get out of a bad situation? Or they just say, you know what? Don't waste my time. Let's cut the losses. Move out. How many, you know, talk to me. Do we get these types of people? I know you are one of them, you know. Why people don't take advantage over Muhammad. But uh, generally, how often do <laughs> landlords help uh, the tenants get off uh, out of a bad situation, Muhammad? You know, um, that's, that's very important. When you see a bad tenant or you see a non-paying tenant, the quicker you can cut your losses and get out of relationship, the more financial sense it makes to you because you're losing money, you're bleeding money every day when you've got a tenant because not only is he not paying his rental, he's in, he's, he's creating a culture amongst other tenants that not paying is good. Number three is that he's utilizing his municipal services, he's utilizing other services that you provide in the building, for example, security and parking and all that. So it has a chain of effects, a domino effect that comes into place when you don't cut off, cut it off uh, the minute the, the, the rot sets in. So I would, I would advise any landlord in a situation like that, see if you can, can find a negotiated settlement that you're either going to write off an amount or he's going to pay you an acknowledgement of debt. He's going to sign acknowledgement of debt and pay you by way of acknowledgement of debt. And that way, you may, you may or may not receive your money, but at least you can find a replacement tenant immediately who will then start paying your rental on time. And part of the process of installing a tenant 
is that you need to do your homework. Find out the nature of the business that the person is in. Is he the type of person, a person that needs to make sure that his rental is paid or he just doesn't have a donkey attitude? Where did he come from? Speak to the previous landlord. Did he move out in the middle of the night? Was he great, gracious to honor his lease till the end? Pay all his dues, wait for his deposit and have walk away with a handshake. These are important things and we sometimes forget to ask basic questions that would make our life so much easier. No, well said there, and perhaps you know, looking at situations, and uh, in your case, uh, Mohammed, what is the worst experience that you had as a landlord, and what could you have done to prevent that situation? You know, in hindsight, because you must have had so many different experiences. What was one of these experiences you had, the worst experience, and in uh, you know, as a landlord, and in hindsight, what could you have done to prevent that situation, Mohammed? So, so a lot of times. When people purchase buildings, commercial flats, and these types of things, people are shown a prospectus and invest investor pack. And in these packs, things are couched in such a way that it gives you the best possible scenario. People tell you, you know, we've got ABC Bank here, and ABC Bank is paying 50,000 rand a month, and it's a great lease because they take care of this, this, this. And then you'll find that... Um, um, the, the, the tenants all, if the property is fully occupied and we're still busy working on tenants, so we've got a 40% occupancy rate in the residential component and we'd like uh, we, we want you to know that, you know, we're busy filling up the building and, and it's, this building should take about a year to fill up and then you're, you'll be receiving something like 20% returns on your money and people generally don't always have the cash so they're going to lend money they're going to syndicate it. They're going to find innovative ways for them to get the money and to get the seller out of the way so that they can purchase the property and take transfer. And yes, you know, I talk about when I say this, I won't say on an individual basis, but I say generally, I've seen a lot of landlords get burnt. I've seen just recently when a bank then after the buyer, you see, there was already issues between the landlord and the bank prior to this. And the bank although they had extensions and options on the lease, they can opt to move out at the appropriate time should certain conditions not be met. And they, they elected that once the transfer was through, they were going to, well, they didn't know the transfer, but just to let you know, the seller, once the transfer came through, the purchaser was then settled with a disgruntled tenant and he was not happy for many reasons and where he thought he's going to be earning a huge income on the bank. That didn't work out for him. And because the bank is no longer there, then you'll find or no, a, a corporate tenant, is no, anchor tenant is not in your building, that definitely affects the smaller tenants because the smaller tenants like to hang around. So if you have a chain store in your mall, all the businesses around it pay premium rental because they want to be next to the supermarket. So your key cutting businesses, your shoe repair businesses, they may have a three by three space next to you but they're paying more expensive rentals than a shop further down that's, that doesn't have that proximity. And I've seen a lot of companies, a lot of people bleed money, lose money, because they, were, they assumed was going to be 20% returns. By the time they finished, they were basically insolvent because they over-understood, they overrated the nature of what this investment. And yes, it's human nature. When you buy a car, 
you're only looking at the positive aspects. You're looking at how beautiful the car is from the outside. You're looking at the, at the speed of the car, the aesthetics of the car. And then the negative side of the car is after the service, you're going to have to spend every time you send your car for service, it's 5,000 rand or 10,000 rand for the car. Every time uh, this part breaks and this needs, it has a life cycle of five years, it's going to cost you so many more thousand rand than an ordinary car would have done. Just to service your car, you have to drive 100 kilometers to the franchise. Nobody, you don't think about these things because our brains are not conditioned to want to think negativity when we get all excited about certain things. So um, human nature, we we can pass these examples and hopefully learn from these examples because we've seen them bear or, or, or come into reality in other people's lives. And uh, I, I do caution people nowadays. I tell them property is not what it used to be. So unless you're going to get your money back in two or three years, you shouldn't even really be considering property because there's so many other things that can come into the market and into play today. i give you an example. Who would have thought, I mean, they're in um, Springfield, that the looting would have taken place and the shops would have been burned and, you know, people's property would have been destroyed overnight. Those businesses pre-looting was considered to be probably one of the best attractions, at least even for us when we would come down, we would make a stop there and, and buy one or two items and it was an exciting. And now over the looting in that time, that landlord suffered huge losses and the macro across the road suffered huge losses. So whoever's the landlord's there, I mean, that was a wake-up call to say, you know, don't believe that everything is permanent. Don't believe that today you're up and tomorrow you can't be down. Don't have that uh, mentality. Just be prepared. We're living in a very volatile situation. Next year is election year. People are scared. You know, what happens if the ANC doesn't win? What if, if the EFF now comes into power? What if we go back to the archaic mentality of the previous generations? What if, what if it's leaving now, it's leaving us in a type of a vacuum situation where we need to reconsider what's our financial, where our financial investment really is and where it should be? Muhammad, I really enjoyed that uh, input uh, from you. And, you know, made me think of uh, a relative of mine, uh, you know, who owned a very big uh, or large block of uh, building in uh, the Durban CBD. Uh, I don't know, it must have been 25 or 26 floors from bottom to top. Then he had the state-of-the-art security company. Guess what he did? He half his property, he let it uh, uh, to the well-known ruling party. And then uh, his security he took on security for the municipality and to the ruling party. I didn't tell you who the party is. This is a ruling party. And then, guess what, Mohammed? They didn't pay him <laughs> the rent properly. They were playing games with him because they said, hey, hey, you know, we'll make a plan for you. Don't worry, we'll give it to you. But he didn't pay his rent properly. Wait. When he did this uh, VIP security uh, work, he didn't get paid properly. Eventually, it took its toll. And, you know... You had to virtually sell that building, uh, Mohammed. Your thoughts Shafat, on that? Shafat, when I look at the Carlton Center in Johannesburg, 50 stories high, considered to be yes. uh, the landmark for generations to come. Today, you won't even want to walk past the building, considering what it's, what vermin come out of that building, what the condition of the environment is. And I tell myself, 50 years ago, 
we 70, 50, what's it, 50 years ago it was put up. 50 years ago we thought we are the premium city in the whole of Africa. We can compete with cities like London and France, Paris and New York City. But today look at the condition. And I think to myself, who would have thought even in their own lifetime to have experienced something like a join to that was the was the Carlton Hotel, the premier hotel mm. in the Africa. What was it like? The first five-star hotel in the whole of Africa. And top presidents and ministers and whoever came and they stayed at this hotel. And to just walk into that hotel and sit down and have a meal, you needed to have sold your right kidney. Be that as it may, today you look at that building. Look at the Ponte in Johannesburg was supposed to be that round building with this fantastic views. And, you know, it looked mm. so marvelous and so wonderful that you could see it from anywhere in Joburg. And in the night, it was even more beautiful. Today, you don't even want to spit in the Ponte for fear of, 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 of many, many reasons. And I'm sure the same thing has happened in Durban. When you look at the beautiful hotels, the Maharani and the Maharaja and the Southern Sun hotels, and 50 years ago, you would not even be able to get bookings in those hotels. That how, that's how popular and how expensive, and it created an awe of extravagance and opulence. And today, you, you, wouldn't, you, know, you wouldn't think twice. If, if, if you get invited into these places, you probably have to come out of there and fumigate yourself. Unfortunately, the reality is this is what previous previous historic monumental buildings were. And it hap it's happened around the country all over the show. Government buildings, when they were built so many years ago, the courts, the high court, the magistrates court, I'm scared to even use the toilets in the courts if I'm ever in, I'm mm. in the court because I know the condition. It's reeking of urine, doesn't get cleared. Uh, you know, it, it's just unfortunate that uh, the condition and beautiful buildings built 100 and 200 years ago, which when you had to drive past, you'll say, this is the majesty of the British Empire. Look how beautifully, look at the decor, look at the finish, you know. Till today, when you look through these buildings, I mean, if you look very carefully, there at the end of your Marine Parade, there's that one building and they make some TV advertisements outside the building um, um, next to where those guys hire those bicycles, for example. What a beautiful building it would have been in its, hey, in its heyday. You know, such a beautiful building, totally abandoned, totally looking like total rubbish. But long and short of it is this. Unfortunately, those owners that built it had dreams and those dreams didn't last for too long. It had, there was a time that everything had to then shift and um, today we sit and we look at these things and we say shukar alhamdulillah it wasn't my father's father that built the Carlton hotel so i've got nothing to lose there you know uh, muhammad as you say you know you, you look at it uh, you got the buildings and may, maybe you have a whole uh, you know street of buildings and uh, you you get into financial difficulties with the rates and taxes and, you know, your tenants and every move you make, you know, you're paying out to the municipality. And, uh, you know, how many, I mean, generally, if you find buildings today, uh, it's bought off by these cartels. And if, you know, if here and there, if there's a tenant or the tenants are not paying, you know, are breaking the leases all the time, uh, these conglomerates, they can take the hit, uh, Mohammed. So I found, you know, you're talking about municipal charges. I found that the Durban, the, the Durban municipalities, especially Tukwini, is extremely has become extremely expensive for landowners, especially in the Durban CBD, because 
we know for a fact the decline in the urban decay that's taking place in the Durban CBD area, but yet the complaint um, from landlords is that the city of Itukweni is extremely, they, they're punishing us and extremely ruthless when it comes to municipal charges. So my heart does go out, you know, when I hear of these things happening. A city of Joburg, you know, it's 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 it ha they have policies in place that sometimes you know seems to be fair, but at the same time, you know, you find that the rates have become expensive in many quarters, and especially what happens is that you find that the employed communities are now subsidizing the unemployed communities so much so that you, as a rate payer, a regular rate payer who pays your accounts, should you default, they will cut you off immediately. But some areas where it's continuous non-payment, the city has totally abandoned cutting off and people continue to utilize electricity and water and services illegally and um, they, they continue to abuse what the city offers. So we're living in a very imbalanced community and uh, the, these city municipal services seem to have spiked over the years because it was never the lament of previous landlords that the city is charging us exorbitant charges. What they charged was considered to be fair in the circumstances, but over the years we found that um, the, the municipal charges have escalated and has made regular households into debt-paying households because unfortunately their costs are too high. So yes, that's the one thing I wanted to mention, and quite rightly so, you know, corporates have a different mindset. If a corporate writes uh, rights of 50,000 rand or 5 million rand, they find the tax, they find the auditors and the tax consultants only ready to help them so that the bottom line is not affected, so that their profits and the salary that they earn is not affected. They have a different dimension of looking at things. And we, unfortunately, the men in the street, we got to watch every penny. We can't just afford to fly around in business class. We fly around in economy because uh, somebody... Nobody, we pay for our own tickets. And when you're flying business class, it's generally somebody else that pays for your ticket. And you, 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 you're taking advantage of, 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 uh, of a positive or rather a benefit of working in a particular role. Yes, that's the difference of it. I tell you, you're really empowering the Ummah this evening, Muhammad. Brilliant indeed. And then, you know, you look at the cost of maintenance, the insurance or the managing fees. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking aloud, what is left for the landlord? And, uh, you know, generally now the demographics have changed in the country. You've got so many people coming from all over the world in Johannesburg, in Cape Town, in Durban and name it. They're all over. So what the landlord does, he says, you know what? I can make it. I can make it. Maybe I have to go the B route. You know, the B route and the gray route. So he goes the B route where he, you know, he gets all these um, tenants, five, six, seven, eight of them in a two-bedroom uh, bedroom flat, charges them two and two and a half grand uh, each, earning like fifteen, twenty grand a month, and uh, you know, get it's it's done. You know, they, they can change whenever they like, and that maybe those guys in the, the, the in in his eyes he's seeing ten. They maybe got twenty people crammed into the flats or in the building. How do they get away like that, uh, Mohammed? You know, they, the legislation that runs and deals with these things are not in place. Before you mention your expenses, like your insurances and everything, I think people need to remember that every everybody has got a silent partner in every business that you have. And that's 
revenue services, South African revenue services. So at the end of the year, if you do manage to make a profit, be prepared to share that with SARS. And if you don't make a profit, tough luck, SARS, there is no interest in you. That's always been something that people, now even more so, because previously when you sold your property, you were exempt from capital gains taxes. Now, in certain instances, you get that exemption, but in other instances, you have to, you're forced to pay capital gains taxes. Now, the issue that you mentioned about, you know, subletting and people taking advantage has become quite contentious over the years because as a landlord, sometimes it's like, if I don't rent it out in this situation, then I have to look for tenant and I may not have the advantage of having my rental on time because at least in the situations that you mentioned, you know, I'm, I'm bound to get paid. If not 10 of them pay, five of them are going to pay and that would be enough for me to break even and to see some sort of a profit. Difficult situation. Everybody has to deal with their own business affairs differently. People, there are some people that come from other parts of the world. When they live 10 in the room, this is better than the conditions they were living in, whether it was in in Bangladesh or in India or in Somalia or somewhere else, the conditions that we find that they have at least here, maybe there's running water, at least there's electricity, at least there's, you know, there's lights, they can have a hot shower, things that you will not even find. So for them, 10 in a room is not inconvenient. They climatize, they're used to it. It's a better, they're better off living 10 in a room than to go back home and find that there's no water, there's no electricity, there's no, there's no services. And that's that's maybe the way things are being looked at from these people's perspectives. You know, looking at uh, the medley of uh, topics and different uh, you know, scenarios uh, that you have taken us through and you have uh, interrogated uh, some of them uh, beautifully, also just like uh, how I expected you to do. Um, talking about the tenant and the landlord, what what uh, you know are the rights of the tenants over the landlord and the landlord's rights over the tenant? Fill us in, uh, Mohammed. Maybe two or three minutes. <laughs> you, you got a hundred point examination. <laughs> for 90 points, I want you to give me two minutes. And for other 10 points, I'll give you two hours. Now, but you know, you're like an AI, right? We spoke about <laughs> AI. So you, <laughs> I've, you, you I, I have upgraded you. So you're like an AI machine now. Go for it, Mohammed. I, sh- I should put my chat GPT on when I'm answering this question. <laughs> So really the most important reason a landlord lets his property out to his tenants and that's the rights over his tenants is that he expects the tenants to pay him his rental on time. Apart from sundry issues like being good neighbors so that he doesn't have to come out 12 o'clock at night with his baseball bat and to, and to, and to, and to chase away the riffraff that's at his property, he expects, the most important thing he, he expects is his rental to be paid properly dutifully, on time, in full, by his tenant. On the, on the opposite side of the spectrum is you want a, ten, a tenant would, 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 would like that his, lawyer, his, his landlord gives him complete and undisturbed possession of the property. So he has a right to use the property that he is paying rental for, that he's leasing, and that he has a right of safety and security. He doesn't have people knocking on his door every day, the landlord sent us, we need to see this in your place, and landlord sent us, and we're going to be renting your garage, out your outbuilding, this or that. I think the relationship 
from uh, from that level needs to be understood that if a landlord gets a good tenant who pays his rent and the tenant gets a landlord who gives him an opportunity to utilize the property, everything else can fall into place. That's the most and paramount importance of a relationship between a landlord and a tenant shafat. Alhamdulillah, as uh, Muhammad said, hey, you get that guy, he'll come in there and tell you know, I own this building, eh? Oh, why you got dirt here? I mean, a tenant doesn't want that. Oh, but a tenant, they want their privacy. And you guys, this charge out, come knock at the door. Hey, yeah, I'm the landlord here. Uh, can I talk to you? And he makes it a habit. And that's how he kills his time. And that, I, I mean, you have a right as a tenant to refuse him entry, uh, Muhammad? So, yes, remember, you know, we're living in a cultured society where I wouldn't want a landlord or any stranger for that matter to come into my home and to go through my things or to see my wife in a condition that I wouldn't even want her to see. Mm. In fact, from an Islamic perspective, there's a narration about coming into, if you come into your town late at night, then understand you rather wait till the morning before you come into your own home because you may see your wife in a condition that she doesn't want you to see her. So if that's the type of riba and that's the type of concern we have about our own families, nobody coming into my house, maybe my daughter is, and she's free to do that. In her own home, she could walk around without a scarf. Of course, she's allowed to do that. It's her own home. But when a stranger comes into the home, then I have to then... I can't let my guard down. I have to be conscious about my daughter. I have to be conscious about my wife. I've got, I've got to have rira over my family. So uh, uh, from from Islamic perspective, that also needs to be considered uh, very carefully. From a legal perspective, if a landlord needs to come in to do certain inspections, to do some maintenance, to bring in the electrician because certain things need to get done, I think sensitivities should be considered and he should phone timelessly and say the electrician is available between 12 and 1 tomorrow is it a convenient time for me to come through with the electrician and while i'm there i'd like to go into the garage and i'd like to see because my lawnmower is parked there for five years and i'd like to get access so whatever he wants to do set it out in a way that makes it easy for the tenant to accommodate him and for the tenant to respect his presence there. And, um, you know, there, there needs to be this mutual understanding between the landlord and the tenant because they have, uh, they generally have a long way to go. And we trust that uh, this, 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 this tonight's discussion about landlords and tenants has given us a further insight about just wanting to have a decent relationship and having a decent tenant is like having a good neighbor you know when you need them they are there they are accommodating they are assisting if you have a terrible neighbor you'll find that you have sleepless nights you're in and out of police stations you're in and out of courts and you really nobody wants that type of lifestyle who really wants to spend time with lawyers and courts and police stations when we've got better things to do in life no, absolutely Muhammad. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna share a hilarious uh scenario with you you know i had a friend of mine uh, who was in your part of the world and uh, you know he was in this uh, one of those areas and uh, this landlord was worrying him and this uh, landlord wasn't from this uh, he was lived uh, you know in the borders but uh, he used to worry this guy all the time and you know the scenarios he said okay 
I'm about, I'm going to put the rent up and, you know, I'm giving you notice. And he kept on telling him, threatening him and so forth. So what I did, uh, one day he phoned me, he said, hey, chef, you got anyone that can help me out? I mean, this is, this guy is irritating me. I'm paying my rent properly and I'm doing uh, everything and uh, the maintenance of this uh, flat store. I do all that, but he still threatens me every month that he's, you know, he's going to get rid of me. And so what I did, he said, can, can you make a plan? You know what plan I made? I said, okay, I got a mufti friend there in, uh, in, in your part of the world. Um, next time when you come, just uh, get his uh, details and all. Let mufti talk to your landlord. Guess what happened, Mohammed? Guess what happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 110% of that guy left this guy alone. <laughs> <laughs> he, reckon, he didn't even put his rent up. He reckon mufti gave him a gabra. He gave me a lucky lecture. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I had a very strange situation this this week with the now that you know, I'm just thinking about it. And um, this person is renting a butchery for the last 15 years. But last year, the landlord, because of disputes with the city, they had the electricity disconnected. So the tenant's running a butchery for 15 years. And the first thing that came to his mind is, I need to find a solution so that my meat doesn't go off and invested hundreds of thousands of rands into diesel generators so that, you know, while the dispute is going on, he wasn't sure it could go on for a week, a month, a couple of weeks, whatever. And nonetheless, he installed this because the nature of his business is that he can't afford not to close, not to conduct business. He's got about 20 to 30 staff. And uh, he, it's been a year now. And a year later, the Thought about the issues. In fact, you know, they've removed completely removed the cables to the building, so the tenant knows there's absolutely no chance that electricity will be restored in the immediate future. So his whole life, his fridges and his machines and everything is running off generators, and it's costing him an arm and a leg. And mm. I thought to myself, what a tenant, you know, other tenants are given notice, and now the issue is. He's been paying rental for the last 12 months. Does he still continue to pay rental because he's he's yeah. not getting undisturbed possession by his landlord? He's busy making his own way. In fact, generator is bleeding him because it costs money to run these generators. And this is unfortunately, you know, uh, the, the condition you get involved sometimes with landlords and the tables are turned. You're the good tenant and then you have a shady landlord or you have um, uh, landlords who have these types of issues and disputes with the city of Joburg or city, your local municipality, and as a result of which uh, your business can suffer, you can eventually have to close down your business because it's how long are you, can you sustain unreasonable maintenance and expenses like this? Hey, Mohammed, uh, we hit the hour mark. We are actually, actually gone over the hour, but uh, you're absolutely brilliant. And uh, perhaps I'll give you your parting words uh, this evening. Jazakallah, once again, Shafat, it's been a couple of weeks that I was on your show. I thought your, your your listeners didn't care for me anymore and that it's time for me to go on and find another vocation. But now, Jazakallah, once again, for having me on. It was great to be on your show. These hours turn, turn around so quickly. We got to value them. And once again, Jazakallah to yourself and your esteemed listeners for giving me one hour of their time. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Yes, sir, to our attorney, Hafiz uh, Muhammad Kubadia. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Yes, sir, time for us to go for the uh, Isha Azan, and inshallah we will continue after that.